You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, good morning. Happy Friday to all. This is the first Friday of the month. Happy Black History Month. As um, we always start out the show, we always give thanks to Tom Ficklin, who allows me to do the show every first Friday of the month, which we call Real Talk. And the purpose of Real Talk is to have the conversations in the community and with the community about issues and topics that are very pertinent to our community. And once again, we always want to stress the part of, we always want to put on the table the real facts, uh, the real things that go on. We don't uh, take any pride in having an opinionated show. Our show was about having real guests and real individuals to come talk about the issues that the community continues to want to talk about and the struggles that we go through. So once again, um, our topic for Real Talk is violence prevention. It's a topic that we know is not going anywhere. Um, it's, it's been prevalent in our local urban communities. And we have some gentlemen here today who are, are working hard and tirelessly to try to help us come to an end of seeing every day our young people going at each other's throats as are um, ending in um, terrible tragedies, losing people, and something has to be done. And so this morning, I'm, I'm delighted to have two gentlemen that I know very well, that I would always consider friends, not only in the struggle that we are in every day, but friends and also men that have a reverence to God, which we know is going to be one of the main things that's going to help us with this is helping our people to see that God did not create us to be at each other's throats and to be hating each other, especially those from the same community and of the same color. So we're going to get into that discussion today on how we think violence prevention. These two gentlemen was part of a meeting that took place last week in our community um, where there's a, a, a synergy that's being created to where we need everyone's help in this struggle. And so it's not about what your position in the community is, it's not about the title you have in the community, it's about community causing a common union, which the word really means. It's a common union of individuals that will live in a geographical location together. And how can we dwell together and have respect for each other and have love for each other? So without further ado, I'm gonna have the two uh, distinguished guests introduce themselves. And also just give me a little background of, you know, how, how long you've been in this struggle and what do you see um, the directions we need to get go, and then we'll also start getting into breaking down the meeting that you guys were a part of and, and kind of inform the community what that meeting was about and what are some next steps that we look forward to. So I'll go uh, over to Pastor John Lewis first and welcome you this morning and introduce yourself and kind of tell the people a little bit about you and what you do on a daily basis for the community. Thank you, Brother Maurice, man. And, and again, much respect out to Tom and also to you and the NWACP, man, and the work that you all are doing continuously to in the fight to make things uh, a better man and just always being consistent with that. So 
again, uh, my hat's off to you, man, the work that you all are doing, collaborating together. Uh, my name is Pastor Lewis. I am the pastor of Christ New Testament Church. I'm also the outreach chair for the New Haven Clergy Association, along with being a lead trainer of the Connecticut Center for Nonviolence, uh, which we train and teach uh, conflict management. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, born and raised in New Haven, and uh, again, I was one of the components of violence uh, back in the 70s and the, the 80s and the 90s. I'm going to 70s. That's when, you know, I got, I was getting out of school, but anyway, uh, the end of the 70s, 80s and 90s. And, and, you know, again, once I got turned around, man, and, and started to see where, you know, I was uh, really uh, contributing to some things, man, that this wasn't cool. I, I was raised right, man. My mother and father raised me right. You know, and I was exposed to the church as a young man. And so I knew right from wrong, man. But again, once again, when dad left, you know, that I was about 15 or whatever. And I just went and did whatever I wanted to do. As most young men probably are facing even right now, what we're dealing with, not only just, you know, the father gone, but just no male figure. And I've been, you know, I ran programs in New Haven, the host association, which was back in uh, 2000, uh, actually in the 90s and 2000, uh, which is now emerged with youth continuance. But uh, with the host association, we were working with guys coming out of prison. Uh, we helped them when they got out. We gave them an opportunity to give back on why they were getting educated. Some of them went on and got their college degree. Some of them right now working on the fire department, retired from the fire department. And some, you know, they just got themselves plugged in to uh, become, a, a, you know, a plus to society. Uh, and fast forward to now, uh, me being a pastor, never thought I would be a pastor. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I started my church uh, out on the New Haven Green feeding homeless people. Uh, uh, that's where I started that because I was just so grateful for the opportunity to give back especially after I, you know, I know I destroyed so many family lives selling drugs and doing whatever I did, man. So, you know, for me to get back in this capacity, it was really, really a blessing. And, and so now I am uh, pastoring uh, what used to be Christ Chapel New Testament Church, which was the church that me and my family and my mother is still a part of. So since I was a child, it was the church I first went to, and my mother is still with me today. And so now I'm the senior pastor of that church uh, now. And the activist part of me has always been there, like I said, for the last 30 years, uh, even with you know my, my, our friend uh, Scott, man, we go way back to Elm City. Even back then we was doing work together and trying to deal with the violence that's in the street. Um, even now, you know, like I said, uh, me uh, working with the New England Clergy Association and then uh, also being a part of the Connecticut Center for Nonviolence with Conflict Management. So again, the work for me has been continuous uh, and showing up every day, man, doing what I need to do, and that's to show up. Again, I can't own results. I just need to make sure that I'm there to, to collaborate, which we'll probably get into later, with as many organizations. No one person has the answers. It's about us working together, and that has always been my plight and fight to make sure that we collaborate together and close the gaps that are there, that are in our community, man. So, uh, again, that's just real brief, man. I, I guess I can hit some other stuff as we go on later in the show. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Pastor Lewis. Uh, Sean Reeves. 
Oh, yep, that's me, Sean Reeves, uh, born and raised in New Haven. Um, you know, used to be a product of the same problem uh, for a great many years. Uh, but, you know, as Pastor Lewis stated, um, I was raised right. Right. So I, I know the difference between right and wrong. I got myself involved in some things that my family didn't condone, um, chasing money. And, you know, it turned into you doing three, three stints of incarceration, you know, the, the, the whole gather. And, you know, I was one using weapons and firearms inside of the community for a time. Uh, along that route, several friends killed during the time. Um, always kept me kind of thinking about things. And then uh, in 2011, my oldest son was killed. Um, after that, I just had started making decisions. Um, the first decision was not to retaliate. You know, um, as much as my family and friends wanted to do something, I couldn't. I couldn't give that call. Um, looking at my mom and everybody else, how much they were hurt, and I didn't want to inflict that kind of harm on anybody's family. Uh, second deciding, you know, um, and really figuring out who I was, who I had become, um, where I was planning on going from this point and how I was going to get there. Right. And it was going to take more than just me. My thoughts after a while started getting right back into the eye for an eye angle, um, and other things. I ran into, you know, a friend of mine, uh, a brother, a mentor, who introduced me into the chessboard, which in learn, turn, you know, kind of just brought my mind back into a different perspective. So when I once wasn't seeing how I could transform life, um, it began to show me the possibilities to be able to. Uh, long story short, I've been doing this now for probably the greater half of about nine, ten years. Throughout my whole depression and everything, just trying to help the community figure out how to address its needs and grow. Um, we don't have to kill each other. We don't have to inflict harm on one another. It's a personal choice right now. And it's due to, you know, a number of reasons. Um, but the biggest reason is, you know, we're not working together to solve this problem. We haven't been. You know, we work in in, in silos and and I get it, you know. We, you know, for the most part, we feel like we can't work with other people, but, you know, we have to in order to make something like this work. You know, we're, we're, we're a community. We're not individuals inside of communities that can just, you know, walk around in bubbles and not be affected by things that's happening around us. Like everything that happens in our community around us now is, is we can somewhat, um, lack of better words, because I don't really like to use the word control, right? Um, we're not here to control or oppress, but we are here to, to stabilize how our community operates, right? So it operates in a more positive fashion. And I, I believe collective uh, and organized efforts can actually um, increase that. Um, so we're gonna break um, this morning's show into some segments. And we're definitely going to get to the recap of the meeting. 
Um, but before we get there, I just want to, you know, hear you gentlemen's opinion on this, these similar words that's out here that we got to try to figure out how does it go from love to hate so quickly. And it's just, it was interesting that the other day I just was riding down the street and I was recalling a very famous movie that we all know of um, and do the right thing with Spike Lee. And Radio Raheem had the four finger rings and one of them had love, one of them had hate. And he was trying to explain how love has to keep fighting against hate. And so when we're thinking of these uh, communities that we live in directly affected, you know, the New Haven area, why, you know, if you guys could kind of give me some insight on why is there so much hate and, and where's, where has the love gone? Because you know, when I grew up, there were certain principles and respect that was always there. And even if you didn't, you know, get along with a person 100%, probably the worst thing would happen, you guys may have a fist fight, right? And you would be able to decide the next time you saw that individual, is, is we going to rumble again? Or you go your way, I go my way. If you give me the look, I give you the look. How did we kind of get to this, you know, so much hatred and, and, and so much energy that's against people that live and grow up naturally right around you. Now, that would be different if, you know, we were going to New York having disputes and arguments with some cats we really don't know down from down there. These are individuals that live in the same neighborhood or in the same town. So I'll, I'll give each of, of you a couple of minutes. Kind of expound upon where do you feel that this Hatred is coming from, especially, and I and I got to be specific. This is real talk. This is what we're supposed to talk about in the black community. Where where is that male hatred that is so prevalent? Like like why is that? And or, or what are your thoughts on that? And I'll I'll go to you, Pastor Lewis, first to you know shed some light on where you, from what you've seen from like you said you've been around quite quite a long time in our in our community. Where are you feeling the sense of this shift of love to hate? being so strong in our community right now? Uh, I, I really believe, uh, Brother Morris, again, we can go back generationally. Uh, again, we are not uh, disconnected from generations. Uh, we can talk about enslavement and what that's done and teaching us how to hate ourselves. So we're still products and we're still impacted by that. Psychologically, they can prove that. That, again, it's called cellular memory uh, anytime that you have a child that's raised up in a particular environment or a father or mother who birthed the child and you remove the father and mother and that child is exposed to the same exterior environment, that child is going to respond in that same manner based on what's called cellular memory. However, speaking relevant of today, uh, you know, and, and being that I'm a pastor, I just want to just uh, put this scripture in here for a minute. It says, to love thy neighbor as thyself, that's the second greatest commandment. You can't have real love for anyone if you don't love yourself. And so what you're looking at, I like to call it reflective suicide. That again, in the black community, we will kill anything. We, you know, sometimes we're slow to put the gun to our own head and say, I don't like me, so I just want to take my life. So what I do is call reflective, anything that looks like me, acts like me, I don't have a problem taking it out because there's no self-love for me. And so that word hate is very powerful. 
I want to, I want to, I want to say that with much trepidation because that hate is a powerful word. I just believe that we don't value ourselves enough that we will uh, uh, not look at another person that looks like us and want to preserve that individual because we don't even know who we are. So I don't think that is so much hatred, but put a weapon that has the power of life and death and a person that struggles with the identity and they hate and they don't like themselves or value themselves. So it's a moment that just, and you know how you said we fought back then? So remove the guns, you'll see a lot of people fighting. You'll see a lot of people getting jumped, maybe some broken bones or busted up nose. So again, we are struggling with self-identity. And so I'm not going to love, I can't love you more than I love myself, brother, because I don't know how. And so now you put a weapon in my hand, I don't, I don't like me like that. And so it's nothing for me to pull that trigger. I don't value you because I don't value you. So I, again, that word hate, I, I, I like to just kind of, um, you know, I put it there, but I, 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 okay. I, that's a strong word. I got you. Uh, Sean? Yeah, no, I mean, I kind of pretty much echo Pastor Lewis, right? Um, one thing I realized is during a time, it was a time where I, I looked at myself in a way where um, I could cause harm to others, right? I don't look at myself in those same ways anymore. Um, so I don't project causing harm to anybody else um, first and foremost, right? I do things to protect myself and protect others. And that, if that means staying in the house all day because others might actually try to cause harm to me, which in turns will make me defend myself um, and cause harm to another person. Sometimes I just stay home, right? But it's a, it's a reflective thing now, man. Um, Self-identity, you know, when you can identify with yourself, especially me, I'm a, I'm a black man in America, right? I grew up around black males in America that were mentors to me during my, my, my upbringing. My grandfather, all of my uncles, you know, my uncle's friends, uh, other deacons and pastors and you name it around the community, along with mothers and grandmothers, though. You know, like we had a community. I, I would never tell you I grew up in the hood. I would be lying. I could go up in everybody's house on my street um, at any given time, show those parents respect, get respected. It was no problems. I'd be across town. People knew my last name, show me a level of respect. And if I was disrespectful, my parents and people would be giving people permission to beat my behind. Um, and then when I got home, I got a whooping again. Right. And it was just because I wasn't raised that way. So I, I've always viewed myself in a sense as an individual and a loving individual because we were shown a lot of love during growing up. Um, I got in the streets and it was a, a thing for survival, right? Like there's been times where I've let plenty of people go, never decided to, you know, harm anybody or anything like that. But, you know, once I took myself back out of that position, I was able to to put myself back in that frame of mind. But I think it's a, a self-reflective thing now. And it's something that we really don't teach or promote or practice in our community to a high degree. Like we really need to teach more more loving principles to ourselves. So, so I, I I like how um, Pastor Lewis was able to spin that word hate and go into the self love, and you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. And so, building on those principles, 
what activities do we have in our community that promote self-love? And how can we increase those type of activities if we don't have them so that you get that? I'll, I'll, I'll keep in mind that just the other day on Facebook, I posted a picture and it has a, 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 a woman and she's beating her child. And at the end of the, they're sitting on a chair and the son is over the lap. And at the end of the um, chair, there's a gun. So I, what I take from the picture is she must have found a gun in this in his room or something and now she's you know disciplining him which we know due to um you know dcf and all the different things we have now that it's basically you we don't see any kids that get physically disciplined anymore in our community and you know that's a probably a topic for another day to think about who's who's behind that and, and what it causes but i just you know from that point of thinking of ways to help our community gain self-love can you can you touch on what what can be some of those ways that we can help individuals in our community gain self-love pastors i think that uh, again you know it, it is a matter of us uh, creating an environment conversations are so healing uh we got great programs but the problem with the program is they're silent uh, and they, again, they don't make love because love is such a quote-unquote corny word. That's because people don't understand the power of love. And that power of love, because in the scriptures, if God is love and love is God, expressively, the appreciation for life. And so we have to create these spaces where the young people and people, period, can be safe. I thought it was the church. I'm sorry. I thought it was the church. And that's the church is supposed to, or the spiritual places or the synagogues, the temples were supposed to be those places where you can come and feel that kind of love, but that the churches have been infiltrated. So again, to answer your question, we have to create an environment for real healthy conversation and engagement and people that are invested, not talking about in a selfish way, but in a selfless way that they're not, it's not about the dollar. It's about the people. It's about being able to give them the opportunity to be able to sit and not so much programmatic stuff. Okay, this is A, B, C, D, and you got to do this and that. No, man, this bring relationship, engagement back, and such a real relaxed, just sit back type of way that kids can really feel that uh, safe interaction. So I think, you know, again, we can, let's go back to the church. We can use those spaces for that. And that's what we're doing. We're getting into that conversation when we talk about the meeting, but to create spaces for that, that they can come to and not trying to lord over them and, and tell them to do this and do that. No, man, that's corny. We're not talking about that. But to let them feel it's okay if they don't feel okay. And that's why we're here. It's all right if you don't feel like you don't want to do anything, but you're here. And so when you're ready to do that, we will work with you and help you. That's what that love does. It works with the person where they're at. Sean, what I want you to talk on is I had some conversations. You know, I did violence prevention. I was a coordinator for um, Stop the Violence and the NAACP back in 2002. And when I was out talking to some young people, what I got and what they said to me was, Maurice, at this time when I have this gun, people have to listen to me. Normally people talk at me, they talk over me, 
about me. But when I pull this gun out, they all have to respect me, whether they like me or not. They, or they have to listen to whatever my demands or whatever I'm, you know, whatever the conversation is at this point. So you said, and you helped me just the other day when I was thinking of getting, you know, my gun permit. And you said to me, you said, Maurice, is you having a gun going to make you more safe? And who are you defending when you buy a gun or you purchase a gun? So let's let's just, you know, briefly, you know, as someone I know has been in the streets and understands gunplay and all that, why do you feel so much, so many of our young men feel like at that time when they have that gun, that this is when they're most respected? Well, respect is, um, is earned, first of all, not taken. Right. So if you have to use a, a gun to to get respect, then um, you got a lot of other things to first work on. Right. You don't you should never have to use a gun to, for anybody to respect you as an individual and as a human being. So, um, you know, we'll go there first. Secondly, guns don't make us safe. Right. Guns put us all in, in harm's way. If we didn't have any guns on American soil, then we would have no no gun deaths on American soil. Right. So guns can't make us safe if it's killing people. Uh, the thought of purchasing a firearm should be a really long and thought out process, especially, you know, living in communities of color right now. Um, and it's this environment where we live in a really heightened environment, putting yourself and having that firearm on your hip. You need to know all the rules and regulations. I had a chat with a young man who had gotten robbed at gunpoint. I believe he had got shot at the same time the kids started leaving. He had a firearm, a licensed firearm, and he shot rounds at them. And now he has a case, right? And it's because he didn't understand the rules. So, you know, it's not that the gun made him safer. It actually put him in a, in a position now to where now he has to defend his actions against laws that have been already in play for those same types of um, individualized actions. So, you know, we really have to think about the purchase of a firearm. You put a firearm into your house, you have children, you have visitors. You never know if a person might be, you know, um, having major issues and threatening suicide, even in your own home at time. Our kids are under a high level of stress. You know, this world is under a high level of stress. So having a firearm in your house puts other people in danger especially if they're uneducated about firearms, right? Um, we think community uh, gun violence is high, has high rates, but suicide has higher rates, higher rates than community gun violence, right? So suicide deaths are actually higher than community gun violence deaths, but nevertheless, death is death. And we, we just all need to really have a clearer understanding of exactly what we're facing here. And it's not to say, you know, this is your, your right to, to bear arms, right? This is your natural born right on American soil. So I'm not telling people that they don't, you know, not to exercise your rights. Just do it in a manner that makes sense for you and your family. Do it in a manner that makes sense for, you know, your safety, your family's safety and the public safety. At the end of the day, like, I don't believe people are born to be killers, they're, they can become trained killers. They can get trained to be killers. But people aren't born to kill. So that takes me back to the sanctity of life. 
do we feel that people really um, appreciate the sanctity of life, that the opportunity that they've had to be able to breathe and live on this earth, or is it just taken for granted? Because the thought is, well, if I don't get along with this brother or this sister, I could take them out. I can end their life. If, how can you want to be a part of a process that you didn't create? And, you know, you know, sometimes it's like, do we just have a self-conscious that says, yo, that's my brother. That's my sister. Like, I know when I was out on the street, I, I'll, I'll be honest to both of you guys. The reason I didn't really get heavy into the gunplay was I never wanted to see somebody else's family in that front row because I've been to a lot of funerals and I see the reactions of the individuals that are the family members in that front row. And I never wanted to be a part of making a family be in that front row. Yes, I didn't get along with some brothers. Yes, I didn't really appreciate what they did or what they said, but I always took a second glance to say, I wouldn't want to see that brother's family in that front row. And I don't know if, you know, that helped me. That was, you know, you know, and we were, I was in the eighties, nineties when, when, when some of the highest rates of murder was ever in New Haven. So I was in the, in the the heart of the battle. So it wasn't like I was on the soft side of town, but it just was that last piece of just, you know, going to enough funerals and seeing that I didn't want to be part of someone's family being in that front row. And so we'll, we'll, we're going to switch over to, you know, we talked a little bit about the problem, we're talking a little bit about some of the things that, you know, are, um, we one, one part before we get off this call, we definitely will bring up is the parenting. But just to kind of be a little solution oriented, could you brothers just give me a review of, of the community meeting that you were involved in the other day, the significance of it, how it was, how it's been, you know, the, the different parties have come together along with trying to work with the police department, just kind of give you a, your, your overview and, 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 and a cap of the meeting, but not also the meeting, but what's the next steps that you guys are going to be working on to make, you know, to make some of these things come true. I'll start off with you, Sean. Um, so, you know, the, the community meeting was a more of an informative situation. You know, we had, I think, another murder, which brought us up to like five or somewhere around that vicinity. But the goal was to figure out what was the plan that the police department had for, you know, helping to engage in finding ways and solutions to, you know, address the problem, along with the city of New Haven, who now has a new Office of Violence Prevention and, a, and has hired a coordinator uh, to see, you know, what plans they had to uh, address the need as well. Uh, one of the goals was to really, you know, see how we're collaborating, who's collaborating, if the city is even collaborating amongst each other, um, while we as community members, clergy, and other nonprofit associations, you know, put ourselves to the space of collaborating as well. Um, the police gave their presentation of the things and efforts that they're doing to address, you know, uh, the violence and also how they're, you know, stimulating community policing inside of the neighborhood. Uh, Dijanae Tally and CSA also, you know, addressed uh, some of their plan uh, for the Office of Violence Prevention, um, the new coordinator, and, you know, how, you know, what their goals and charges will be with that office. Uh, myself, uh, Thomas Daniels, uh, Terrence Lee, and a few others, you know, we, we've always been kind of doing this work now, especially, you know, working with 
mothers in the community that have been calling us lately, you know, trying to figure out ways to help um, address problems that their sons are having and some of their daughters throughout the uh, community as it relates to, you know, truancy and a number of things that can lead them in the harm's way. You know, they're trying to save their children. We started talking with, you know, clergy members, um, myself in particular, just around, you know, how do we engage and, and, and really connect? Like, you know, one of the, matter of fact, Dr. Kimber one day just said to me, you know, plainly like, you know, church is a community space. And when he told me that, I was like, you know, that is correct because I remember as a kid, I was involved in all kinds of churches, youth groups and everything growing up. You know, we had it all throughout the churches and you said churches are community space, but it takes community to, to build capacity to utilize the churches in the way um, that it needs, right? And if nobody's asking or putting together plans, you know, to to kind of help the church complement the community, then it, it won't work. And again, that's the collaboration effort. We might have a group of children or, you know, younger minds that we want to connect with, but we need spaces and places instead of just picking them up in a car, riding them around and bringing them to our own homes, play video games. They need more than that. You know, they need some mentorship. They need to see us mentoring ourselves um, and being involved in some of these um, trauma support services and other things to know that it's okay. Uh, so, you know, um, now we're just finding different ways to collaborate with everybody, anybody that wants to collaborate. You know, me, I'm a resource guy. I, I believe we need way more resources. We need way more opportunities. Our kids need to know um, about the industries early to know whether or not they're planning on going to college or if they can wind up getting a job that's going to pay them 30 and $40 an hour, you know, per week through carpentry, electricians, plumbers, and all of those things, or if they want to deal with bioscience. I know there's a lot of resources in the community and in the city that's, that come and say they're for our community members, but our community's disconnected, and I want to connect them to the resources now. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have this thing that we've been working on, um, and I'll let Pastor Lewis speak a little bit to it. But, you know, like I said, it's just about collaborating efforts uh, to better address this need of, of, of solving this problem of gun violence in our community. I don't think that we need to have it, but we've practiced this, this, these things for so long. There needs to be a new practice and it has to start somewhere. And I believe why not with us? We're in the perfect place and perfect time. And, and, Pastor Lewis. Yeah. And so, uh, again, just kind of uh, disagreeing with what Sean was saying. Uh, and then as a clergy member, again, I, I've known Sean, I, I've known Tom, I've Tom grew up, uh, uh, you know, coming out of the same church, and, and T. Lee, and a lot of these guys I remember back there, Jerry, uh, uh, Pep, all of them, you know, these guys got hands-on, right, and, and, and the hands-on approach of it, but, you know, sometimes what happens, people that are sincere about it get overlooked. They don't get noticed. I mean, they do it because they love to do it. They do it because they know that it's valuable and it's going to make a difference. And so, again, me being a part in the clergy in and of itself, and, and again, Dr. Kimber has been very gracious and, and very understandable in even knowing that we got to do more than what we've been doing. And so with this whole effort, again, I know I can't do, we can't do what Sean and all of these other guys can do as far as reaching these young people and uh, working with them, but they don't have, Sean and them don't have the support from the community or the clergy that is really needed for them to have those spaces 
or to be able to get the provisions that they need to have. And the other part of that is that, again, that, like Sean said, the collaboration is important. And so here you got a city that's focusing on one program, basically saying they can do everything and they can't. That's too much on one program. That just does not work. And so these, all of these organizations have to understand working together is what's going to solve the problem. The church has to understand we got to support these young men and these individuals that are out in the community. So I think along with Urban Alliance, uh, over there, Urban Community Alliance, and that marriage of that coming together to be able to support any organization, collaborate with any organization, that is what we know is going to make that difference. And it's not that every pastor and every church is going to be out there and these pastors and these individuals in the church, a lot of them are scared, let's be honest. And it's okay. In the movement with Dr. King, you didn't have frontline people all the time. You had people in the back that was taking care of the ones that was on the front line. So they still was a part of the movement. And that's what we are giving to a clear understanding for the people in the church. However, what we have are spaces in every community that these individuals can utilize. And we don't need to just use them for Sunday service, a revival, or Bible study. These are safe spaces. So let us collaborate with these individuals. And my prayer is, like Sean said, I mean, again, how do we start to, uh, when we start to uh, argue over who do the best work or who the one that got the best thing, that, that don't even make no sense. And the community suffering like that. So that whole meeting, that whole, uh, what we did as a community conversation was to really start to see Who's doing what? Oh, so we can work all together. All right, you dealing with education? You got those young people getting educated and helping them with school? And you doing that too? All right, put y'all over here. You out on the street? You dealing with those young people that are right engaged in the violence? And, you, and you're interacting with them? And you too? Let's put y'all over there. See? It's not about you trying to overlap or duplicate. It's about you empowering the things that are going on. But too many of us allow people from the outside to come in and divide us and keep us at each other. It's ridiculous. So, you know, and again, it's time for us to have our own plan for our own success, right? And it involves being at the tables. And if we're not talking to each other first and communicating with each other first, how are we communicate with anybody outside of ourselves um, first? Most of the time, um, we have a lot of opportunities, especially when it comes to grants. Like one thing I'm noticing they get you in a specific space. So they're only telling you, you can take care of a small portion of your community when the whole entire city is sick. It makes no sense, right? So it's almost like saying, you know, you have the flu and COVID, we are just gonna give you something for the flu, but we're not gonna take care of the COVID. Like it makes no sense. And for me personally, I have to always look past these barriers because if, if we if we keep ourselves inside of those boxes the same thing happens you have the other side of town who's saying we need the same services why aren't we getting anything and it's hard to you know make those those transactions make sense if you're not in an already collaborative effort coming together with a plan that all of you guys uh put together not just some people right and it might start in certain places but the goal is to we have a we have so much talent and so many bright minds, so many people across the city um, that want to help 
not just themselves, but their children and their families. These are their children and their families' lives that are at risk and being taken too. And everybody should have a voice at the same time, not other people from the outside deciding who should speak and when and where and why. And and how did uh, Brother Sean, Brother Tom lost their sons to gun violence, other young men that are doing stuff, fathers that are lost. Tom started Father's Cry too. Then you got Sean that got his printing of uh, entrepreneurship and so many other different things. How not you going to support that? How not the church going to back that? How not we going to go find money? How are we not going to, how are we going to sit there and not attempt to bring all of these things together and stop allowing the people to dictate and keep us divided? And I say this to all the pastors and I say this to all the leaders and I say to us as leaders here on this Zoom and, and, and to any organization. It's about leadership really getting out the way of you not about unity. And it's about us putting them on the floor, uh, up and, uh, you know, calling them out. If you're not about unity and coming together, then we need to call you out because you're part of the problem. You're part of the things that keep perpetuating the violence. The young people are not getting the service because your selfish leadership is not willing to work with other people. So you got to go. That's where we at today. That's where we at. But, you know, the, the, the beauty of it all is I get a chance to sit in a lot of rooms, right? And I'm realizing that there are a lot of bigger organizations that are looking to find new ways to help. So again, the goal, like I said, is to collaborate, to build these relationships, to build capacity, not just through ourselves, but through you know a great deal of, of people that really wanna see some amazing new things take place. Um, even when you look at uh, the younger students that are, attend a lot of these colleges, they don't think the same way that their forefathers thought before them. Um, they have a lot of friendships with a lot of different uh, nationalities across the, uh, the globe now because, you know, we, we come from so many different blended environments. Um, so, you know, the goal is to give them a chance to, to see themselves in a new future, especially in the Black community. Our children don't really see themselves inside of a new future. Um, they're still seeing the oppression that, that, that we witnessed and, and, and have on our backs for generations before us. Right. And the goal is to give them that ability to break out of those those silos. Now, we have to resource them with things that can interact with their minds, though, to help them see the benefits of, of being successful individuals moving forward. They don't have to sell drugs to make money. You know, they don't they don't have to be involved in illegal activities to, to have great lives. So our, our, our last point that we'll come to, as you see how quickly this time goes, we've got about seven minutes. It zooms, it zooms on a zoom, right? So right. this is the last one I, I wanna kind of point out is two words, evolve, repeat, right? That's the basis of what communities have a decision to do. They're either gonna evolve or they're gonna repeat. So we all know we don't want to repeat because what has been done in the past hasn't worked and hasn't been working. So we have to evolve. So as we're coming into this evolve transition that we're in right now, how do you help encourage that single parent mom who works from seven to three and she has to come home quickly, change her clothes, and she has to go to work from four to 11. She has three young men that when they get out of school at two o'clock, 
2.30 probably at the latest, they can utilize their cell phone check-in to say, hey, mom, I'm all right. I'm running home, do my homework. They're out the back door. She's at work. What can she do? So now the community who seems that's not connective is responsible for creating a village that's not there now. And this young man goes astray, starts carrying guns, starts hanging with the wrong crowd. And we've all heard the mom who didn't ever know that her son really was doing those things. She's thinking that, you know, just because he's an A student or B student, that he's doing everything he's supposed to. And I'm hearing that he's one of the main gentlemen that's running up in spots, laying cats down, shooting at cats, because that time period where she probably would be home to be able to watch or help to raise him, she has to do her um, duty to provide. So how do, how do, so that's, you know, that was kind of detailed, but what basically what I'm saying is as we move toward evolving, how do we give the sense to some of the parents that are struggling with having the oversight for their children while they're at work during the times that they would probably normally be home if they were two parents? Right now, I think it's a little difficult because, again, we don't have a lot of programs that focus on prevention. Prevention is that early childhood education, addressing the needs early, having resources for these children to be um, involved in so that way they don't have to be strained into these negative uh, activities. Our kids like to play basketball. There's not enough places after school for them to go and play basketball. They don't have a center where they can actually go to and engage throughout the day until their parent gets home from work or, you know, uh, just an after school till 6 p.m. spot where they can go to and have a variety of different things and functions to get into, knowing that the majority of their friends are also involved in a lot of these other activities within their neighborhoods, their respective neighborhoods, or even if it's across town. Like we need more resource centers. We need more community places and spaces for these children to be able to even have a chance or a mom to even uh, have a considerable chance of saying um, her child has somewhere that, you know, positive that they're going to be at after school while I'm at work. Like, you know, us as men, we need to really step up and become a lot more assertive in our communities and in our environments and really figure out how to communicate better to be more effective leaders in our community. Like, you know, my, my job is not to actually leave, but my job is now I'm trying to, I want to give what I've been given to someone else so that way they can feel empowered to do the same thing for others, right? That they know that they can affect change in their community in, in, in whatever way that they see fit, right? Whatever way they feel empowered to do so, whether it's through legislation, whether it's through education, whether it's through of feeding people, um, ensuring that people are going to get good housing. Like, you know, we have a ton of different battles to fight for, but um, I encourage the moms to just know that there's people working to to get these things in place, right? The churches is one of the biggest places for me right now because they're the ones saying we're willing to open up our doors. So, you know, my goal is to help them get some video games so we can have video game nights there. You know, um, again, we need transportation. I had this movie night for my birthday last year and things like that sometime of what it's going to take to get us in a, in a place where we can start really making sense. To be able to bus kids and, 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 and van kids to movie theaters from all the neighborhoods and then have them in spaces and places where we can communicate with them as groups of men who have gotten past a lot of our neighborhood beefs and become real 
you know, friends, men, and people that want to change what that picture used to look like into something new today. And I offered, Sean, uh, again, in the group events that we got, and I say to the other churches mm -hmm. that did those things, because he came to us. But I'd like to say this real quick, because Sean answered, you know, a lot of good points. Number one, men, period. Take on the mindset of, of being that surrogate father. That doesn't mean you got to go and sit down with the mama. That means that you interact and you be that particular expression of a man to one of them young men. The other thing is that, like John said, it's, it, we're in a different environment. So it's about fun and learning. We can't just let the kids have fun and not learn because they got too many subliminal messages that are feeding violence. So at the same time, because a child in its development, young people like to have fun, all of that's been taken away. Let's have fun and learn. We have to intersect both of those things together. And the wraparound service got to be real. That means that the reinforcement of what these young people are getting to assist that mother, because that's the mothers are limited. Their love is great, but they're limited because of what you just said. And because of that male visual reflected piece of that young man, he, he loves his mama, but he don't see himself on the physical. That's why he's duplicating what he's seeing other men, which is negative. So that's why we still, that piece is important, that they see a positive, reflective, and again, every man, I don't care who you are, every young man you see, speak to him. Every young man you see, say something encouraging. Every opportunity you give it to engage yourself with a, a group or a place where young men are meeting, show up. Show up. That's what I say. Show up because it's simple as that. It's a process. It's going to take time. But what we can't afford is not show up. Be present. Great messages, gentlemen. I appreciate your time today. I think this was a great message to get out to our community. Um, at the times of any of the further meetings that you guys will be having, feel free to inform me. Um, you have the opportunity to come back on the first of the month on a Friday. Just give me a heads up that you want to do it that particular Friday and we'll get it done because this message has to definitely permeate our community, working together, being collaborative, being role models to these young men and helping to take some of the weight off these women about the, the responsibilities that true men in communities do. I like the way you said it, Pastor Lewis. If you see them, make sure you speak to them. Make sure you give them an encouraging word. Stop making it always being a negative thing and down in our young men, but give them some encouragement and let them know it's possible to be a role model and be positive amidst all the um, tragedy that we have in these communities. So with that, we wishing everybody a wonderful weekend. Be safe, be warm. <laughs> it's going to be very cold. So uh, get some reading materials and, and kind of learn learn something this weekend that you might have didn't pay attention to last weekend. But once again, we give Tom Ficklin all the thanks for allowing us to do this show. And um, to my, my producer, Harry Dross, who's always on point, making sure that we're able to, to deliver these messages in a timely and effective manner. May everybody have a wonderful weekend and peace and love and blessings. Thank you to my guests. 
This is Harry Droz and you're listening to WNHHLP. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Hate swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Hey.